Good Thursday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com mailbag edition of the podcast presented by our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control. Remember, Blue Water Climate Control for all your HVAC needs. If you got an air condition that needs recharging, you got an air condition that needs to be looked at, uh, maybe it's not cooling well enough or some other issues going on, they can clean them out. They can clean out um, your ductwork. They can do all kinds of services, anything you could need for your HVAC unit. Blue Water Climate Control can handle it. So be sure and give them a call at 865-299-2290 for whatever your needs are. Remember, Blue Water Climate Control, give them a call because they're going to do the right repair the right way the first time. Check them out online at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com. With Austin Price and Rob Lewis, I'm Brent Hubs. On this mailbag edition, we'll get right to the questions. Plenty of things to talk about here. And uh, we'll go right into the first one, guys. First question is regarding Lindsey Nelson Stadium renovation questions or renovation project. If you have an unlimited budget, what's the must-have? If you've got UT budget, what is the must-have? What's your must-have for Lindsey Nelson Stadium, regardless of, of the budget? If you're sitting here and you're saying, all right, we got – let's say we're going to spend $30 million. Or let's say we're going to spend anything short of building a brand-new stadium. What's your must-have in that stadium? What do you got to have? I, mean, I, I do two. I mean, I, I mean first, it's plain and simple. You've got to increase capacity. I mean, what that number is is debatable. Is it eight thousand? Is it ten thousand? But you've got to increase capacity, and I think you need. I think added luxury suites around the top, and maybe covering, you know, at least from first base to third base, be part of it for me. I think that would improve the aesthetics. You know, if you had a nice, nice green roof and make it make it look a little more big time. Hey, yeah, I mean, for me, I just totally just <laughs> improve everything else. I mean, like, there's nothing about it that just makes you go, oh, i got to keep that. I mean, I think the turf stuff is super neat. And, uh, you know, I mean, some of the chair backs back there behind home plate are great. But, I mean, you've got to increase the capacity, which is extending down um, the left field line on the third base side. Um, I, I build it up all the way around the outfield with porches because, I mean, that's what people love. I mean, those, those people love the porches. So just keep adding porches and do it all the way around the outfield, double decker, triple decker. It, you know, again, it's got to be it's, – to me, it, because of the space limitations, it's got to be more like kneeling, which means on top of you. You've got to go up and not out. And so it'll, to me, make it feel even more enclosed than it already is. And I think in the outfield, you need brick and not the temporary-looking aluminum stuff just when you're constructing, you know, said porches. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, I mean, obviously, you, you've got to increase – the, the capacity. Um, but if you're talking just from an aesthetic standpoint, for me, um, get rid of the parking lot. Okay. You, you, you shouldn't have a parking lot next to your grandstand like you do in the left field line. So um, I, I would focus my construction there on um, extending, you know, that down um, all the way down there with, with bleacher seats. And then I'm with you guys. I mean, I think brick, uh, brick in the facade, uh, on the outside of uh, the, the current entrance to Lindsey Nelson Stadium. And then when you do those permanent porches, um, brick that in and make that look the, the right way there. So that would be, um, those would be kind of my two things when, when I look at just from the look standpoint beyond improving you know, the actual number of seats. The other thing I would do is I would close off that street where they had the uh, – the block party, I would permanently close that off and make that kind of an area like take like where the like the kids jungle gym and slide and all that stuff is out there and in right field. I would take that and move it over there 
I mean, that, the road, you know, you can get away, you can do away with doing away with that road. I mean, like, I, I just think, you know, ultimately you, it increases maybe the part inside the park for kids to run around, maybe turf it, making it, maybe make it a kid friendly area, um, you know, where kids can just kind of go have fun and likely not get hit by a foul ball. I mean, there's always a chance over there, but it would be probably something that wouldn't be hit hard enough to where it would hurt them. Um, you know, I, I just think that would make some sense just to close off basically from the frat house down to, down to, you know, that, that road that extends back there behind the stadium. Yeah. Down to, down to the street corner there. Um, because not very few people drive through that road, but again, I, I think just, I mean, cleaning, you know, cleaning up, you know, would, would be a lot of, a lot of it again. I, I mean, they've got to be the only stadium where you can park your car at the, at, at third base, you know, essentially. So, um, you know, fix that as much as you can. Uh, the, the other question that he had, Rob, is uh, Neyland Stadium renovations. Um, outside of the current renderings that you've seen, which is the, the West Club um, and the Lower Bowl and the Jumbotron there, what would be your must-have if you're Danny White and you're trying to put together renovations to Neyland Stadium? I mean, I think cleaning – and, again, you know, it's kind of – <laughs> we're, we're ironically some of the wrong people to ask because we don't ever spend any time in there as fans, you know, know to know what that experience is like. I haven't in, fact, in over 20 years, but uh, just walking around it, this is the concourses over on, um, I guess it would be the, the South side seems, I mean, it seems outdated. It's probably being too kind for, for what, you know, I, and, you know, I, I don't, I, I like personally the idea of making it a more comfortable experience, I'm, I'm, I know some fans aren't, don't like it, but I'm, I'm way cool with reducing capacity a little bit and making it more comfortable. And I think you got to make it in this day and age where everybody in your building can see a jumbotron. I agree with that. That to me, that's the number one thing that has to get done. Like the fact that Neyland's only got one jumbotron, and you go down to Alabama and they've got four in the corners, and it's just aesthetically really good. Um, you know, I, I agree with Rob on that, 100%. Number one on my book. You know, I, I think that that enhances everything for the fan because even if you're, you know, in the nosebleeds, just the better view you can have on a jumbotron to see certain replays and such or you know whatever, you know, just helps the fan experience. Um, you know, I mean, they've got to fix the south end zone hubs. I mean, it, the concourses over there. If if I'm not claustrophobic, but you know, if you are, there's no way you could even walk through there in the game and not hyperventilate. I mean, like I mean, like it's just sardines and i mean like you're right we don't go in that area a whole lot um but when we do it you know we're normally walking around there you know trying to find a place to do the two-minute drill or whatever else and with no fans it's somewhat you know closed in so uh, you've got to fix that yep i agree with all of that then on the outside of that 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 whole south end zone plaza has got to get you know, get rid of that ramp at gate 10 and you know and, and the steel you know, a rector set looking stuff there and, and, and brick that in and make that look aesthetically much more pleasing. But I, I think the bottom line is uh, we live in a day and age where mega stadiums are, are should be on their way out. It should be about more uh, comfortable viewing, more aesthetics, more um, amenities, you know, from food and concession and those types of things. I, I think that's what Tennessee's doing with these two projects. I think that's what you'll see them do uh, with more phases mo moving forward and forward. Well, don't you think, don't you think it just kind of cyclical? Like there was the mega stadium. Now everybody's kind of pulling back and eventually somebody will go back to the mega stadium again. It just all kind of, you know, ebbs and flows. 
Well, I think with the I think Mega Stadiums coming back are going to be really. I, I I think I don't know when you'll see that come back because of of, of television. And, and you know, you're right about that. It's people, become people are, are happy watching at home. You know, it's become so easy to watch at home. You can get a 70 inch TV for what 400 bucks, something like that. I mean, it, it's a it's a lot easier than it used to be. And you know, we had this. I know this is not about Neyland Stadium, but I put these numbers on the message board about Mississippi State Stadium. That, that baseball stadium holds 15,000 people. They had three games this year in the regular season where they had 10,000 or plus at that stadium. The rest of the, I mean, half of their SEC home slates or two of their SEC home series had less than 50% capacity in that stadium. They built too big of a stadium. It's beautiful. It's just too big. And, and I think that's something that uh, 80s around the country everywhere are being mindful of, of, when you do a renovation or you do a new construction, be careful not to make it too big. It's always better to have a demand for tickets than to have an excess supply for tickets. And um, I, I think that's something Tennessee should be very conscious of when it comes to Lindsey Nelson Stadium. And, and I think to some degree with, with uh, Neyland Stadium as well. All right, on to uh, direct Vols question. How do the Vols stand with Andre Stewart and Cody Jones after their unofficial visits? Austin, we'll head to you. Well, Andre Stewart's someone who, you know, has been committed to Kentucky, um, you know, continues to have really good dialogue with Tennessee. They talk to him a lot. Um, can they pry him away? I mean, that's possible. Um, I think that, that he definitely has given Tennessee a hard look. I know he enjoyed his time here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that ultimately that would be, a, you know, somebody that Tennessee could land. Um, so I, I would not, I wouldn't all go say it's a lock, but I think Tennessee at the same time has got a shot there and pretty good shot. Um, Cody Jones, you know, I, we'll see. You know, he he came up. He I continue to be told by multiple people he did the camp at Memphis d- did not help him. Um, he he did not have a strong showing at that Memphis mega camp. So I've heard that from half a dozen people. And so um, you know, I, I'm not sure he ends up at Michigan. Um, you know, and we'll see how hard Tennessee goes there. They were going hard for a while, um, and he did come in for an unofficial visit, but. Uh, how hard do they continue to go? We'll see. All right. Uh, Volgrad wants to know, uh, are there enough or too many VolQuest subscribers for you to hold a yearly gathering with insider recruiting notes and stories? Could sell a lot of Austin's T-shirts there. By the way, I would like to have one of those I have to see it to believe it T-shirts whenever that edition comes out. Uh, we've done those barbecues and gatherings in the past for spring game. Um you know, Austin and I have mentioned it a couple of times. That might be something that comes down the pike in, in the next couple of years. We might go back to do it. I don't know if we'll do it around the spring game. We might do it um, in the preseason or maybe we do it on signing day or whatever. But that's something that we've kicked around the idea of doing. And, and we might do that, you know, again. You, you never know. So uh, would not rule out that possibility. All right. To priest 26, is Tennessee recruiting linebacker Ethan Crisp, who's in the 23 class out of Mount Juliet, he has several SEC, ACC, et cetera, offers, but doesn't appear to have one from the Vols. Austin, is that just a guy that Tennessee wants to continue to eval at this point in time? Is that kind of where they you think they are with Chris? Yeah, uh, continuing to evaluate him, continuing to watch him, um, and, and we'll see where it goes. I, I think they'd love to, you know, you know, just get him up here, get him around the staff, and then probably watch him this fall. Um, and, and, you know, probably watch the first handful of games. And then, you know, I could see them pulling the trigger sometime, you know, late August, early September, if they're going to offer. Doesn't that show you just how much the game has changed when there's 
you've not offered a rising junior yet and people are wondering if you know what's the hold up why you weren't pulling the trigger well i mean i think it goes to show you just you know how free everybody is with an offer which is your point it's not just that it's happening earlier it's no big deal to offer somebody anymore you know a lot of cases you're offering to be in the game with some kids just to get them on your campus austin um and in other cases you know a kid's not going to commit so you throw them an offer particularly an out-of-state kid and um i I think that's just where recruiting has gotten to i I don't i mean it's it's not uncommon for kids to have 30 or 40 offers anymore. It's just not. No, it's not. And, and, and frankly, Brent, I don't know. Uh, this state's probably over-recruited when you look at, like, the number of schools that come in here and throw out offers. I mean, how many times do you say, well, Oregon offered so-and-so kid? I mean, like, you know, Oklahoma's coming to Tennessee a ton here lately. Michigan, Michigan State. Um, you know, I mean, look, you look at Shannon Blair from Knox West. You look at, you know, a couple other kids in the state, um, you know, like Jalen Lewis, you know, they're, they're tripping to Michigan State. And yet you just never saw the Spartans come to Tennessee a whole lot. But now you see that more and more. You see Indiana trying to recruit down here a lot more and more. So, like, yeah, you have to be. Look at Kentucky. Kentucky's trying to offer every kid they can in this state. And so, you know, Tennessee's got to, you know, be on point, you know, with some of these kids or you fall behind. And so I think for a lot, most of that 23 class and some of the 24s, they've been ahead of the game on a lot of these kids. And so I think that that's helping. And again, the 22 class, it kind of was what it was when they arrived. They arrived late and, you know, they're trying to claw out. But I just think some of the, the races they're trying to claw out on are you just, you just, you're going to be stuck. All right. Speaking of 22, how big would it be for the staff to win either or both of Addison Nichols and Brubaker's recruitment? feel like those two guys could be cornerstones on the line to go along with a good quarterback in Jackson and a home run hitter in Sampson. Um, obviously Austin, if, if you got one of those, you would feel, you would be, you would feel good. If you, if you got both of them, um, you would, I, I mean, Mike Eckler's chili would be on, would be beyond hot at that point if you landed both those guys. Yeah. LRB might do the worm, you know, if they, if they landed both, <laughs> if they got both kids, I mean, like, to me, the one you've got to land is Addison Nichols. You know, if you get Brubaker, that is not a cherry on top because that it, it, it would be too small of a of something to add to the top. That would be, you know, an, bringing another dessert to the table. Like, I, you know, I, ultimately Nichols is the guy you have ties to. You have the whole family rolling in here this weekend uh, for, the, for the official visit. The grandparents live here. He's been here a bunch. To me, you, you've got to find a way to land him. That's the, the one you haven't landed in a while, the kid that has Tennessee ties, you know, that you've, you've missed out on these type kids the last five years, six years. I mean, Cade originally went to Georgia. Tate Ratledge, whose grandmother was a diehard lady ball, and the dad was a diehard ball and had to peel the sticker off the truck, went to Georgia. Evan Stewart in this class, his parents and his older brother went to Tennessee it doesn't seem like Tennessee can get any traction there. The old staff tried, fell behind. This staff has tried. doesn't seem like they have any traction. But those are the kind of kids you've got to find a way to use the pull that you have because you have ties in the family. And you've got to find a way to land those type kids going forward. I want to ask you about Brubaker right quick. I mean, I just, for the longest time, assumed that was a Penn State laydown. I mean, he's from Pennsylvania. He's an offensive tackle. His dad James, played at Penn State. His dad played at Penn State. James Franklin's a good recruiter. 
Is this not a Penn State laydown, or is this ultimately going to be Penn State? If you're asking me my opinion, I think it's ultimately going to be Penn State. But everything that you know you watch tells you that it's not a laydown. Like, I mean, like I I just look at history. You know, I mean, that's to me that's all you can really go off of because I mean, you know, when he was at Penn State, you saw some you know you know predictions, crystal balls, future casts, whatever, come in for. Penn State. Then he goes to South Carolina, and here come the crystal balls and the future casts for South Carolina. You know, uh, I don't think you'll see that this weekend because, you know, one, I don't do it, and Brian Callahan ain't going to put on a crystal ball until the 11th hour. So, you know, they're not going to do it, you know, uh, this weekend. And I told the kid that. I was like, you ain't got to worry about that this weekend, big dog. Nobody's going to be predicting you to come here. Um, you know, I, I know he's talked to Taven Jackson, um, you know, kind of quizzed Taven Jackson on what he felt like when he picked Tennessee, why he picked Tennessee, what made Tennessee the right fit for him. Those two will get a chance to see each other this weekend with Taven coming down with Caden Curry. So, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say Tennessee can't land this kid because I think they very much can. I just think history tells you that it's going to be Penn State. But sometimes history has a way of maneuvering a different way. And ironically, AP, this is – for Penn State, this is exactly the kind of kid you just talked about for Tennessee. Yeah, Tennessee. with Addison Nichols, one hundred percent. And I think your your judge your prediction is probably based on the fact that Penn State's in a much different predict position than Tennessee is when you look at the last five years. It is positive yeah. for Tennessee. Not that not that they're going to get necessarily. It means they're going to get Brubaker, but it is positive that Taven Jackson is having the conversations he's having with 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 players. You know, with with other prospects out there because. We know the importance of peer recruiting. We know the importance of what a quarterback can mean to a recruiting class as well. So whether they get Brewbreaker or not, that is a positive note, Austin, that Taven Jackson is working it the way he is. And, of course, he will be in town uh, this weekend. And, and he's coming to town um, with, with his teammate and his teammate's family, uh, Caden Curry, who would be a huge steal for Tennessee if they could find a way to land that one. And that, to me, would be an upset. Uh, over a school like Ohio State uh, um, or, or somebody like that, right? It would be. Um, but, hey, the kid's coming down here unofficially. This isn't an official visit. So, like, to me, that's a good thing. Right now you're, you're not putting a ton of effort into an official visit for this kid who it would be a long shot. He comes in. He likes it. Maybe you get him back for an official. And then that's when the game changes to me for Caden Curry is if he returns on an official visit after having unofficially visited here this weekend. That's when Tennessee's chances dramatically increase. And so, I, you know, I, I think that him coming down here with Taven, uh, coming down here with his family, you know, being around some of these other players, and, and then we'll see, you know, what the staff, the defensive staff can do to, uh, to show him, you know, how much they could really use him in orange. And Blue Misswell wanted to know if the Vols did land Curry – would you say that that would have a carryover effect on Walter Nolan? And I would say no. I don't think the two know each other. I think Walter Nolan's going to do whatever Walter Nolan wants to do. I don't think that his decision is going to be based on anything else going on in Tennessee's, you know, recruitment or any other school's recruitment out there. It does seem like he likes Florida the most. He's, he's, he seems to be talking consistently about Florida more than anybody else. You're right. He does. I mean, of course, he wore all the – backpacks and all that stuff down there uh, to the future 50, um, you know, like last week. So he does, you know, he, he is filling the Gators quite a bit. 
here's the deal. If he doesn't do anything to August, though, a lot can change in six weeks. I mean, you know, I've seen things that seem like a sure thing fall apart and things that sure felt like, you know, a team had no chance, you know, rebound and do a 180 and that school land them. So, you know, we'll see. Again, that's why I've always been very hesitant to, you know, with the Walter Nolan stuff. Obviously, Tennessee's in it more now than they were. But to me, I still think that there's a long way to go for him to end up at Tennessee. All right. What's been so impressive about Joe Milton that's made him stand out in summer workouts? Is, is Hooker still on the team? Seems he's lost all the hype surrounding him after his performance in the spring game. And is there anything new on Brandon Turnage? I want to start, uh, Rob, with you on Joe Milton. Is this just a case that he's the new guy? He's the one well, nobody's I mean, seen I, so I, far. And I, and I think also because of you talked about or if he's talked about when he walks in the room he just looks like a million dollars you know physically he just and i and i but i do think exactly what you just said he, he's the new guy but i mean look this is a definite print hubs i have to see it to believe it for me because i mean you go back and look i mean he, he put up some big numbers last year but accuracy i mean he put up some big numbers in a couple of games last year but accuracy is really you know left a lot to be desired so I will definitely have to see that one to believe it. But I, but I think it, I think a lot of people are just blown away by his obvious physical gifts, his size, how big of an arm he has, and are just kind of extrapolating that into thinking Heupel's rec- track record with quarterbacks, can he turn this guy into something? And on Hooker, I never thought there was a tremendous amount of buzz about Hooker. I mean, maybe I'm misremembering. Well, I think when much the same way there's – buzz about Milton there was buzz about Hooker when he first committed here because you know Harrison hadn't hadn't done had not done a whole lot Shrout was gone JG was gone and then Maurer you know had kind of been left you know um out in the cold by most so you know I think there was buzz because he was the new guy not he had done anything in particular yeah and I think for him he's got to if he's going to be a factor he's got to drive the ball down the field further for sure um, Austin, anything new on Brandon Turnage? No, Tennessee, uh, you know, has had very little, I mean, minor dialogue, but doesn't seem like much is going on there as of now, unless something changes later in the week. All right. Uh, there was talk, there was talk. The talk was all about getting McDonald. Now Samson commits and McDonald isn't a take. Do you think that, uh, don't you think getting that Milton pipeline would be important? They seem hard after McDonald. Now it seems they're going to tell him he's not a take. What are your thoughts there? Also, where does Tennessee stand with, uh, I guess it's Xavion Harris, a defensive line target. Um, Listen, if if there's a kid at Milton that everybody, if Georgia and everybody in the South is recruiting, there's never going to be a pipeline to Milton, Georgia, in my opinion. I I don't think you're just going to go in there and dominate there. I mean, that, that school produces what? four prospects a year on average, probably. I mean, I don't think that anybody's ever had a pipeline to, to Milton, first of all. And I think Tennessee just feels like Samson's a better fit than McDonald is for their system. I think they like yeah, Samson I mean, that, better that, as a player. Yeah, that's the thing is like, you know, McDonald, you know, I don't know what like this notion that he was like near the top of the board. Like I, I never thought he was near the top of the board. Like, I, I knew he was a guy that they felt good enough about to bring him in. Um, but, like, had he tried to commit before Samson, I'm not sure they would have taken it, you know. And so, th- that's, you know, he uh, he's a guy they liked, but I don't know if they loved, 
you know, and, and I think they felt like Samson, as you just noted, was a better fit for what they do. Uh, I know they like Jalen Glover, but Glover wasn't ready to do anything. So, you know, it's as simple as Samson just was quicker to the punch. Yep. And, and to your point, Hubbard, I mean, taking McDonald guarantees you nothing in 23 or 24. I mean, just like you said, I mean, there's – well, and it doesn't even guarantee you Mo Clipper, Rob, and that and that's his teammate that's going to visit here next weekend. I mean, like you know, I, those two aren't tied. Like you can still land Mo Clipper even without Jordan McDonald. Yeah, that's right. It doesn't land you anything this year, and it doesn't land you necessarily anything in years moving forward as well. Speaking of Samson, profile says he's five ten, one seventy five, but the interview made him look like uh, made him look bigger. What what did you what did you think of his size when you visited with him, AP? Uh I would say right around five nine and a half, five ten. I wouldn't say he's he's not. I mean, he's he is bigger physically as far as like being swole. I, I he he was. I, I thought he, you know that he was. I thought he was pretty ripped for for his size. You know, bigger, I, he did bigger not than seem like seventy five. Um. Yeah, it was it was a muscular one seventy five. If he was one seventy five, I mean, like you know, I, I thought he's probably one eighty one eighty five. Um, but I mean, he he had you know. I thought he was, you know, stocky, you know, in a good way. But don't uh, you think there's tons of that, Hubbard, this year? Because, I mean, of all the data we gather, those rivals camps every year, we, we get accurate size, high, you know, weight, height, and, and all that. And we're, you know, there's, a, there's a huge gap there with this 22 class. Yeah, but, yeah, no question. There's a big gap. And you don't know what kid – I mean, you're just trying to – you haven't seen – nobody's seen these kids. I mean, you see them on their huddle highlight, but nobody's – stood next to him, measured him, whether it's a school, whether it's a recruiting analyst or, or anybody else. I, I would say um, heights and weights have, have been way off for, for a, are a good bit off. Um, and, and just simply because nobody has seen those and, and been around them, you know, face-to-face and, and measured them out there. Uh, what's the earliest date renovations could begin or would begin at Lindsey Nelson Stadium? You got to finish your renderings and your drawings with the architect. Um, and then you got to figure out from a timing standpoint of when you could start something and have something done uh, before you play baseball in there again. So, um, you know, are you going to do it in phases? You're going to do it all at once. Um, how much are you going to move around? What are you going to do there? I'm not saying that they wouldn't start something later this summer, um, but you, you know, we'll see. I don't think there is an early or a definite timeline. I think the first thing you got to do is finalize a plan uh, which is not completely finalized and won't be until after the season is over. And, and Danny White and Tony Vitello um, have a chance to sit down and talk, provided everything gets finalized with Tony Vitello to remain uh, Tennessee's baseball coach, which Tennessee is obviously doing everything they can to try to get done. All right, on to the next one. Do kids have to get invites to come to camp at Tennessee, or can any kid come and take their chances at catching someone's eye? Is there a, can- a cap on the number of kids that can camp? Second question, I know that this could be a wide range of outcomes and really too far out to predict, but do you guys have a best guess on how all the NIL rulings come down once everything is settled? Let's go to question number one. There is no cap on camps, Austin, but you got to manage your numbers so that you can evaluate everybody and whoever can come. That's right. But anybody can come, you know. know, If if you're, you know, little Johnny from, you know, wherever, you can come. I mean, like you come pay your $40 or whatever and – and you'll get your reps in just like everybody else. But I mean, ultimately, they're going to, you know, the coaches know who are the guys and, and guys are first in reps and getting more reps and, and sometimes get pulled to the side and, 
that type of thing. Um, and as far as the NL or the NIL stuff, well, I could they have not done? I know it's name image likeness, but NLI, NIL, it's so confusing to me because um, we've said NLI for years and now we're talking about something else that's NIL. Um, as far as that, I, who knows how that thing finishes out and goes down? Nobody knows. <laughs> Nobody. Well, and I'm going to be fascinated to see what happens at Georgia in a little over two in 15 days, right? They're, they're supposedly got two guys, Brock Vandergriff being one of those, and, and another player who have deals cut with, with somebody, and they're going to roll those out starting July 1. I want to see what those look like and, and kind of how that goes from there. And, 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 you know, does that continue on or does that get shut down because of a ruling or, or whatever? So, uh, I think that's going to be interesting to, to certainly see what happens with that. Isn't All right. It, isn't it fascinating before we go to the next question? Isn't it fascinating that a true freshman quarterback who will not start this year has a deal, but the guy who's, you know, got going to have Heisman odds does not. Welcome to the uh, NIL and welcome to the concerns that a lot of people have with the NIL because it's going to be, is if you don't have a great plan, it could be a real issue uh, in your locker room if you're not careful. And that's a great example of where it could possibly end up being an issue in situations like that. All right, quickly on to the next one. Any guesses on Devin Heights leaders and timeline aside from Tennessee or their natural ties to schools? Uh, the playoff regular are the playoff regulars all after him at this point. All right. You got, Tennessee, you got a Tennessee will have to beat out Clemson, Georgia, and Alabama. So that answers and, that and question. And that's the four, and there's no timeline. I don't mm-hmm. think that – like he's not trying to get anything done in the next two or three months. That's all what right. everybody's thinking. All right. Will ne- will Neyland Stadium have additional suites, premium seating um, in the next five years, or are they more focused on the overall fan experience, such as the second Jumbotron has been mentioned, improved concourses, et cetera? Twofold here, Rob. One, the second Jumbotron's already coming. To help pay for some of the concourse stuff, you need more money coming in. Premium seating brings in some of that more money coming in. Uh, so I, I think you got to balance both of those that way. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what it will look like, but I think you'll have more luxury seating, whether that's suites, whether that's replicating something like the Tennessee Terrace on the other side of the stadium, but something that brings in more donation dollars per seat than, than what you have with just traditional seating. Yep, and um, don't be surprised if you don't have some corporate sponsorship involved with some of those areas moving forward like we've seen at Kentucky and some other places to bring in a seven, 10 year commitment there for some more financial resources as well. You're not going to rename the stadium. You're not going to rename the field, but could that be the gate 21 Plaza brought to you by somebody? Absolutely. It could be. Could that be the, the, the Jack Daniels South Terrace? Absolutely. Something like that could definitely come. And I think those are coming down the pike. You could see them in baseball. I think you'll see them see them as a part of Neyland Stadium because you're going to have to do some things like that to pay for what it's going to cost to, to redo some of the things everybody wants uh, redone. All right, again, speeding through some of these here. With the 12-team playoff coming, is it time to rotate the West teams and not play Alabama every year? Uh, Tell me uh, old I, school. I, I like having Alabama on the schedule from a Tennessee fan, and I know it's been a, you know, just an, a yearly beatdown for the last little bit, but I mean, the tradition that, that's, that goes with that robbery, I would, if I'm a Tennessee fan, I want to keep it. Call me new school. I'm going to say Tennessee needs to get, needs it to rotate in and out. I mean, I, I get where Rob's coming from, but, you know, Tennessee to climb out of the hole they're in needs an easier path and playing Alabama every year. Because ultimately what happens is, is 
like here Tennessee's going to exit after this year, and they'll be back in that LSU, Auburn, Texas A&M run where you're playing Alabama and A&M, Alabama and Auburn, Alabama and LSU. Can't win the East like that. I just don't I, think I they get can. all that. I totally get it. I just say, hey man, you got to get better. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm a little bit split because I think to win, getting them off the schedule certainly makes the most sense to to get you there. Um, but I mean, when that I don't game, think the SEC would allow it, Hubs. I don't. When, when they, that game is going, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I just think that it's hard to sit here and say you're not going to play that game. Um, but to, to help Tennessee get back, certainly having them rotate off would be there. I, I just don't think that's going to happen. Um, in fact, I think, I think the only s- way that happens is if they expand again and Auburn moves to the East. Well, and Hubbard, you would know this. If you got your pulse on this program, especially like former players, old school fans, I mean, it would embarrass somebody like Tim Priest, for instance, to th- just throw your hands up, I think, and, and say, hey, we can't, we can't compete. We want, we want them off the schedule. And I think oh. a, I think a lot of former players feel that way. A lot well, of yeah, I, I don't disagree with that, and, and that's why I don't think they're going to come off the schedule any, anytime soon. Um, I, I think, I, but we'll see. I mean, that that's come up before. I mean, it was brought up to Dave Hart. Dave Hart said absolutely they stay on the schedule because of the tradition of that series. Um, so that that was always you know he was always on board with that one. Um, after roughly six months with the new staff, what stands out about the athletes they're recruiting? Seems like they're targeting completely different types of players and from more northern geographical areas. Is that to fit their system, a byproduct of the investigation? What do you think? I do think that they're going to focus more in on Indiana, Ohio, Michigan. And that's where Kentucky's cleaned up. I mean, look at some of these kids. Oh, Kentucky got drafted in the past year, and there's been several on the defensive side of the ball. They were all from Ohio, Michigan, those type of areas. There's good football up there. And uh, – you know, I've had multiple coaches who were here before say that they've always felt like Tennessee needed to recruit north more than trying to go south. Like, I'm not saying go to Georgia. Georgia's a must. That's like the extension of Tennessee. But, like, trying to go down into Alabama, trying to go into Florida, trying to go into South Carolina right now with Clemson doing what they're doing, it's just it, – it, it's a tall ask. And so it's much more doable to go up north and get kids – than it is to go because they're wanting to go south where it's warmer and not being in those winters. I just think two states where Tennessee has cleaned up and historically, or Philip did at least, North Carolina and Georgia. It's harder to recruit those two states than it has been in 25 years if you're Tennessee because of Clemson, because of Georgia. I mean, yeah. Clemson in 1995 was, and, and North Carolina. We put, the, I mean, I'm giving Mac, Mac Brown his due. He certainly has kind of build a fence around his state and it's it's harder to recruit those two states i mean think about 1995 what was what was clemson i mean jordan tennessee was in the middle of what nine in a row against georgia i mean it's just a different landscape the other thing is he talked about the different kids brent um that they're recruiting i think part of that is the fact that tennessee just doesn't have a lot of traction because kids are scared of the uh of, of what could be coming because that's what other schools are telling them Look at LeBro Torrance. You know, Auburn told him they're going to get hammered, probation. You're not going to be able to go to a bowl game. You're not going to do anything. What do you do? He panicked. Decommitted. Kids kids listen to that stuff. Yep, they certainly do. That's working against Tennessee. But I, I, think, I think if you're Tennessee, when Tennessee's been at their best, they've been able to go places and get players where that home state school and that home state area has not been doing well. They went to Oklahoma for years when Oklahoma wasn't very good. 
Robert Meacham, Raymond Austin, Marcus Nash, Jonathan Brown. You know, they went to California for a period of time when things weren't going well out there with USC, uh, UCLA, and those schools, and they had success there. They went to Louisiana when LSU was down. So I, I think you got to do that, and I think part of that is sliding up north. You know, I mean, go into Indianapolis, as you mentioned. Go into Ohio. Ohio State can't take all of them. You know, go to Michigan. Go to Michigan, and where you've got some ties there, and and, and recruit. And I think you're seeing Tennessee try to do that because. Look, you're going to have as much success or more success there than you are going to South Florida and pulling a bunch of kids out of Dade County, you know, or, or somewhere south of Orlando. That's just the that's just the bottom line with that. So, no, but that's the I four corridor for the record. Ta don't copyright it, Paul. Well, Paul, Paul shouldn't. It should be closed. They don't need to be going down Alligator Alley looking for players from the I four corridor down to Dade County because it's the. Just, Paul, Paul's a flame, baby. Paul's yeah, a flame. Just, Paul is a flame. Uh, congratulations to Markel and the Fortberries as Markel will head to Liberty for that. All right. Congratulations to us because that's going to do it for this edition of the Thursday Mailbag Edition of the podcast brought to you by Blue Water Climate Control. For Rob Lewis and Austin Price and Brent Hubs, thanks for joining us. Have a great Thursday, everybody.